welcome back to the island jay sahoda Lahi. on this episode we will recap week one of the nfl and what was a wild opening week to the football season we'll talk about browns chiefs the packers saints how the saints absolutely demolished the green bay packers what happened to Aaron Rodgers? We're going to talk about all of that on this episode. The NFC and AFC West are all unbeaten. We're going to talk about all the headlines from week one. We'll also get to the US Open and the NBA Hall of Fame induction headlines as well. So make sure to keep it locked and stay tuned. We got a lot to get to. And don't forget to give Baller Island a follow on Instagram and Twitter for more sports news and analysis. And week one is in the books, and what a wild week of football it was. A lot of games, a lot of headlines to get to. The U.S. Open is also in the books. We'll get to that as well. And the NBA Hall of Fame Part 2 induction. Obviously, due to the pandemic, there were two Hall of Fame inductions for the NBA. Of course, same for NFL. So we will get to that as well. Jay Sahoda, Bilal Lahi, welcome back to the island, folks. A lot of stuff to get to, as always. B, we're going to open up with the U.S. Open and then the NBA Hall of Fame, and then we'll get to all the NFL stuff. But what a wild weekend, my guy. My Lord. It felt so good to have football back, though, didn't it? Great. Awesome. Great stuff to have that back. A lot of really great, high-entertaining games. Absolutely, man. But the U.S. Open, that was wild, man. I mean, that was one of the the best tournaments not just this. This is one of the best tournaments I've watched in a long time. Both sides, men and women. It was just filled with drama, filled with like up and coming talent. Just everywhere you look was like a great match. I honestly wish I had watched more. Honestly, I did not watch a ton, and I. But I do gotta say the the Canadian representation in this tournament was just sensational, both on the men's and women's side, and. Layla Fernandez, I got a, I got a lot of highlights to watch because I heard nothing but uh, sensational things from what she did in the U.S. Open and making it to the finals of what was it, eighteen or nineteen years old? Absolutely. She turned nineteen halfway. Yep. Absolutely ridiculous. ridiculous. And then on top of that, she lost to another eighteen, nineteen year old, which is just absolutely incredible what happened there. But I mean, there's just some some awesome stuff going on in New York this past week. For real. I mean, so Layla, you know, she came through. So she was ranked 73rd. Um, she beat, you know, the number three overall rank, which was actually the real favorite in Osaka. She beat the number two f- overall in this tournament, Sabalenka, who people thought was going to win. Then she beat Svitolina, the number five overall player. So she beat like literally three or four top 10 players en route to this at 18 years old. And the thing that surprised me most about her was just her poise. You know, like for such a, a small person, like never played in front of a crowd, really. You're 18. You only play in the challenger ones or there's no crowd. Just clutch, man. And same with Radikandu, who also 18, ranked 150 something coming in. And she took it home. And the, the last match was dramatic. The knee scrape at the end. The fans were getting into it. It was wild. The women's was really entertaining. And then on the men's side, Djokovic had the greatest year a tennis player can have that I've ever seen in my life, right? He was going for the calendar year, something that hasn't been done since Rod Laver in 1969. He was going for it, got all the way to the last match, lost to Medvedev, 
and I'm happy Medvedev pulled it off, man. He's He's been on the cusp, finally got his one. And to me, it's just like Djokovic played a lot of tennis this year. And it just looked like his legs were under, uh, gone from him. He missed a lot of bunnies that he doesn't normally miss. But, man, he put on a hell of a year. And, like, these two tournaments and the match previous that Djokovic played against Zverev, it was just, like, unreal. Just, oh, my God. The tennis this this U.S. Open – it was ridiculous. It was it was so entertaining. I can't even describe it. It really was. I mean, the French Open was fantastic as well in that matchup between Djokovic and Nadal. Wimbledon was great. And then once again, US Open again. Another great tournament in the books there. And and for Djokovic to pull that off is pretty incredible and falling just short. But I mean, at some point when you look at the physical toll that it takes on you when you're playing that many tennis matches in that short amount of time. It can it can get to you at some point, but either way, I mean, Djokovic. We have, we've talked about this multiple times on the pod that he is one of the great all time tennis players, especially in this generation. So, you know, we just got to appreciate it while it lasts. And speaking of appreciation of while it lasts, to the NBA Hall of Fame, a bunch of guys got inducted this past year from both classes that are guys that we grew up watching. No, straight up, dude. Like, I thought, you know, the, the last class was obviously way more stacked. But this class, I feel like it means just as much to, to me and you as it did as the other class. I mean, Paul Pierce, my w- literally one of my favorite players, probably the, around the time I started watching basketball when he was on the Celtics. Chris Bosh as a Raptor living in Toronto. Probably the first basketball jersey I had, him in a Raptors jersey. And then, you know, Chris uh, – um, Chris Webber, another guy. Ben Wallace is your boy. I know you love those early 2000s Pistons teams. Like, these guys are, like, literally the guys we watched pretty much their entire careers. We saw them retire, and now we see them get into the Hall of Fame. So we really watched the whole thing, man. Yeah, no question. For you, it was definitely Pierce and Bosch. For me, it was probably Wallace and Bosch. And, yeah, that those those Piston teams early on were just were incredible with Billups, Rashid Wallace, Ben Wallace, uh, Richard Hamilton, just Tayshawn Prince, who is just a hell of a team. And Ben Wallace, yeah, honestly, I, I have no idea why he was my favorite player as a kid, but but the guy was incredible. One of the best big men of, of his generation, disgusting on the boards, did what he did, and and was a huge instrumental part of that team and what he did. So it, it is pretty cool seeing him get inducted into the Hall of Fame. And then Chris Bosh, I mean, this this guy before the Lowry DeRozan era, it was Chris Bosh was our guy. I mean, that was, you know, when you talk about some of the best Raptors of all time, everyone, it's funny how everyone kind of talks about Lowry DeRozan, Vince Carter, Kawhi Leonard. And it seems like sometimes people leave out Chris Bosh out of that discussion. And sure. I don't think he's the greatest Raptor of all time. That's already settled, but Chris Bosh most definitely deserves consideration to at least be in the top four, top five. And, Especially over, I sure Kawhi Leonard gave us a championship, but what Chris Bosh did, he he also was played an instrumental part in putting the Toronto Raptors on the map. So that's something that I look at there. And then obviously he left, joined the super team in Miami, and and whatever, and won some chips there, which I think is great. But again, just um, really just phenomenal to see them. And then Paul Pierce, the truth. I mean, that's another just an incredible player, and to see what he did, this is just a a hell of a class, really. Yeah, so through them all, man, I mean, your boy Ben Wallace, four-time deploy, like, I think to me, 
when I look at it, peak-wise, we talk a lot about peaks on offense, but his peak defensively, I mean, he's got four of them, but like his peak defensively, you know, in that in the finals against Shaq, dude, six eight, first undrafted player in the Hall of Fame, right? He's six foot eight guarding Shaq in the finals. Like him, peak defense is probably, you know, on the Mount Rushmore of defensive players ever. Right. Yeah. So it's ridiculous how good he was. He just clawed his way into the league, undrafted, like I said. And to get to be a champion and get these accolades and now a Hall of Famer is ridiculous. And then Bosch, like we talked again, dude, when we were watching these Raptors growing up, they're trash. Like they were so yep. garbage. And all these, you know, Raptors fans that sort of came along when they started making the playoffs don't realize how garbage they were. And Chris Bosch is literally the only all-star on that squad. And he never complained, dude. Like he was never complaining. He had such a smooth game for someone his size, lefty, little mid-range jumper, step back. And he was real smooth. I'm happy he got his rings in Miami. I thought nobody else could play that role like he did. We saw what they tried to do. You know, every every super team kind of tried to have that third guy. And I don't think anybody's played it as well as Chris Bosh has, man. He just did it perfectly. You know, most clutch rebound of all time in that game six. And I'm happy he got his ring. Really sad that his career ended the way it did with the blood yeah. clots and all. But I loved his speech, man. That The ring he gave back to Pat Riley it was it was beautiful. And then... My guy, bro. I swear Paul Pierce gets too much slander these days. People don't realize how much of a killer this dude was. I mean, as a Raptors fan, you know how much he killed you. And that was not even in his prime when he was with Washington and when he was in Brooklyn. This dude just hit big shots, man. He was so clutch. Talked his shit, which I loved. Slow, unathletic, but he got to his spot mid-range at the elbow, stepped back. And it was just so, like, I loved it, man. You there's that clip of him just walking up the court, talking shit to Al Harrington, and then boom, it's three right in his eye. Or like, you know, how many times, how many stories of them is is legendary stories of him talking shit and then hitting a shot? It's like, I just love that, bro. When an unathletic dude can just get to their spot and hit it, man. And he got, he could catch some bodies too. Speaking of Chris Bosh, I remember that dunk where he just he hit him in the nuts, and it was it was a beautiful. But <laughs> man, I loved, I love me some Paul Pierce. Facts. No, Paul Pierce. Yeah, I mean, obviously in Toronto, yeah, you know he's a killer, and and he's one of those guys where it's like when you play him in a game, and you're like, God damn, I hate that guy. But then as a basketball fan, you just you you appreciate it and what he did, and that's the way I look at Paul Pierce. Yeah, he was annoying as hell, no question. But he's also one of those guys where you're like, man, you really do need to appreciate him, and especially when he was with Boston. I feel like that's when mm-hmm. I probably appreciated him the most. You most definitely did. And Finals Bosch, MVP, yo. Absolutely. And then back to Bosch, as you were saying, from not making the playoffs a lot, the Raptors were complete garbage. But Bosch also led us to the playoffs two years, back-to-back years in those in the early or late early 2000, around, I think it was 2008, 2009, made the playoffs back-to-back years. I think we, we won the division. Those were, those were, at least in my eyes, those were considered kind of the start of the Raptors making the playoffs. Cause that was like my first initial introduction to playoff basketball in our city. So I always think Chris Bosch for those, those years, I mean, he did manage to take us to the playoffs. So, and, and in my eyes, one of the, you know, one of the guys that when I grow up, yeah, he's probably one of the best Raptors for me growing up was Chris Bosch. So that's pretty damn cool, but that's uh, yeah. just a great, great class overall. Really happy for all of them. They are where they deserved. And one last thought on Ben Wallace. Honestly, I actually had no idea he was undrafted. That's incredible. That is freaking <laughs> incredible. 
to be undrafted, to play the way he did, win championships, and then be a Hall of Famer, that's insane for a guy that's undrafted is incredible. So it can be done. I want to throw out two more things, though, before I move on to football. And Paul, I don't know if you heard, but Paul Pierce gave you guys a little shout out. He was like, yo, thank you to, you know, the Raptors, the Grizzlies, whatever, the, the nine teams that passed on him. He's like, thank you to those nine teams so I could end up as a Celtic. It was pretty funny. He had a good speech. But then, yeah, Chris Webber was the other one that got inducted. And um, we could be talking about something completely different, man. I thought he had a, he had a real good career. Obviously, he's a Hall of Famer. But we all know the story of that, that Lakers game against the Kings in the Western Conference Finals. And he was just on the wrong end of it, man. And if he was on the right side of it, you know, and the, those refs weren't refing that game, Maybe he's an NBA champion, and we're looking at him completely different. So, Chris Webber, I feel for you. You never got the one you wanted, but that's a situation where you look at it, and he was on, you know, on a bunch of teams. But you look at a change of scenery, and you know how we talk about situations. A change of scenery really helped this dude's career out, and he's a Hall of Famer because of it. Yeah, definitely. Chris Webber was another one kind of forgotten in there as well. Great player. He's a solid announcer to this day, and what he did, it's a great call there as well. Um, another one also to add in when I was looking at the list, who a guy who's still coaching and you know one of our favorites in the NCAA, that's Jay Wright from Villanova. And I just want to shout him out because he's done a heck of a job with Villanova, especially over the past few years. So I want to shout him out as well. Um, but again, congratulations to everyone who got inducted into into this class of the NBA Hall of Fame. Hey, All- Bill Russell has a coach too. Oh, did he actually? Yeah. Well, that's great. That's that is that is pretty crazy. That's great. So, yeah, congratulations to all of those that got inducted into the NBA Hall of Fame in this class. And then moving on to week one of the National Football League. What a ridiculous day of football. Well, week of football it was in terms of all those games. And let's get this thing started by going all the way back to last Thursday when the Buccaneers hosted the Cowboys and what we all thought was going to be a blowout by the Buccaneers ended up being a hell of a game. The Tampa Bay Buccaneers won this game 31-29 if it weren't for a few botched kicks by Greg Zerline. The Dallas Cowboys might have had the upset in this game. Dak Prescott in his return threw for over 400 yards. It was it was quite the day for the Cowboys, but the Buccaneers, even though they turned the ball over four or five times, they still prevailed in this one. Man, I, so many things stuck out to me in this one. I mean, Dak, I knew Dak was going to come and just throw the ball a lot, but I mean, if I'm Mark McCarthy, I don't know how much I, I can throw him. Like, if you're going to throw the ball 60 times a game and just, you know, abandon the running game like that, I hope. I mean, hopefully, you know, for fantasy managers all around the world that this was a one-week thing and it was just a game-by-game basis. But the the Cowboys look good. Their offense was good. CeeDee Lamb lived up to the hype. Amari Cooper did his thing. People kind of forgot how good he was. And then even, you know, like you said, their, their defense, it was like kind of like a bend don't break. You know, they forced a lot of turnovers. They gave up yards. They gave up points. But they came up with timely turnovers and gave their team a shot to win at the end. Yeah, that's a good call. And going back to Dak, I think he was just incredible in how he came back from an injury. No one really knew what to expect. But he came out, was fearless against a Tampa team that we all know is bringing back all their starters. And we all know the amount of guys that they got on that defense that are studs. You got JPP and Sue and Barrett and all those guys. Dak Prescott held his own and he played a great game, but I'm with you throwing the ball 58 times when he was Mm. dealing with the shoulder injury that he was. And and you got it. Yeah. They have to be very, very careful with that. 
And sure, I get it. You're playing the defending champions. You got to, you know, just throw everything, throw the kitchen sink at him, do whatever you got to do. Bro, it's a long season, though. Like, Yep, yep, agreed. No, definitely agree. And we'll see how that ends up turning out uh, next week. I mean, I, for all I care, they could be in an, in another track meet next week. They got the Chargers, who can also run up the score. So that'll be very interesting to see what they do in that game. But over to Tampa Bay, I, I mean, I said it last week. I expected them to come out a little rusty, and they did. But Tom Brady just, I mean, I, I, I simply don't have any words for Tom Brady anymore. The guy just comes out, plays like he's like 20 years old, and just looked flawless out there again. Sure, it wasn't all pretty at times. There were a couple turnovers that were, you know, should have been catches, but it were tips and it ended up being an interception. But overall, it was great. And yet, to your point about Amari Cooper, I mean, I honestly forgot how good he was because of Michael Gallup and CeeDee Lamb and all those guys there in Dallas. But Mike Cooper showed up, man. He was phenomenal. 13 catches for 139 and two touchdowns. And then how about wow. Antonio Brown? Five catches for 121 and a touchdown. He looks back to his normal self, which could be a scary, scary sight for teams how, going up against Tampa. How about Gronk, bro? When when Brady hit Gronk on that one seam down the middle, man, I almost teared up. But Brady, I swear, I was telling you this, he literally looks like he's getting better. He should have had five touchdowns in this game. Um Neither of those picks were like real interceptions, right? He should have had five touchdowns. His deep ball, he was hitting every single time to Antonio Brown or to whoever it was. Um, Tampa just, they just got to clean it up. Uh, I think they will. I think some of those plays just don't like the fumbles, the, the interceptions, those are easy plays to get rid of. They had like what, a, a ton of penalties. And I think they'll clean it up. And I think if you're pl- putting up 31, and that's a really bad game that you played and you're putting up 31. Yeah, yo, this might be this might be something. But man, Brady, I mean, did, was there anybody in the world that was like Dallas is going to hang on when they gave Tom Brady the ball with a minute and a half left? Like there was no, no chance. There was no chance. We all expect everybody watching the TV at the same time just expected it and it happened and nobody was surprised and it was just like, all right, another day at the office. Absolutely. I mean, there are there are four guys in this league that you, there is no lead that is safe with any time on the clock at all that you can leave on it. And that is Patrick Mahomes, Tom Brady, Russell Wilson, and Aaron Rodgers. You cannot leave any time on the clock. A minute, a minute 14 or a minute 18, whatever it a was. Minute, a that minute is, and a half? That is down an eternity. One and down one. We don't even need seven. Down one. I just have to get into field goal range. Are you crazy? That's what I'm saying. Tom Brady, like... Tom Brady, basically, when the minute that Dallas kicked that field goal, he probably looked over on the sidelines. I was like, all right, let's do this he's again. Like, are, you, like, are you serious? Yeah, I'd he's like, like, that's, he's that's like, okay. insulting. Like, exactly. Come on, bro. That's what I'm saying. Brady probably just picked up something. He's like, all right, I know what to do. Let's just do it again one more time. Like, it, you know, he, he literally did that in his sleep. And it's just like, you can't do that. Even if you left eight seconds on the on the clock, like, that's, that's too much time for Tom Brady, man. You got to know who you're dealing with and, that was not an ideal situation for the Dallas Cowboys. But my initial takeaways from this game, I'm not really... There wasn't any much of a shocker about either team. I learned a lot really? about each one. For me, for Tampa, yeah, they looked rusty, but they're going to bounce nah, back from it. Tam- yeah, I, I think I learned a lot from Dallas, man. I think Dallas, I'm going against my call already. It's week one, but Dallas looks like a 10-win team to me, and I think they're going to take the East. That's what I'm saying. I, I had them at 10-7. and seven. Like That's what I'm saying. I didn't... Like, what I mean by, like, I didn't learn a lot about Dallas, I did learn a lot in the sense that 
their offense played really well. So that's what that was the unknown going into this game. Now that I know Dak looks good and this offense can get going, now I'm like, okay, I saw that. And the defense, sure they gave up 31 points, but they they got turnovers. They got a handful of turnovers, which is very good, and that's what Dan Quinn likes to do. So I like that. But you gotta learn to at least not give up 30 points a game. That's something they got to work on. But for Dallas, I'm not worried at all. I'm not worried. You're 0-1-1. You played Tampa as good as you possibly could have. I'm not worried about them at all. So that's what I'm saying in that game. And I think both teams, they're they're looking good going forward. Moving on to the early slate on Sunday, one of the top games of the day, Pittsburgh went into Buffalo. And a bit of a surprise, the Bills had a 10-0 lead. They were pitching a shutout going into halftime. And the Steelers come all the way back to go with 17 points in the fourth to win it 23-16 and spoil the return of the Mafia. How surprised are you that Pittsburgh actually pulled this off? Yo, you know what? I, I, I'm not that surprised, bro. I thought Pitt... Okay, I have a question for you before I get into this. Does this tell, me, does this tell you more about Pittsburgh's defense or the Bills' offense? Pittsburgh's defense. Yeah, Buffalo's offense, I'm not worried about it. I think, you know, they so had a bad... So you're saying Pittsburgh's defense is that good that they shut them down? I, I thought that in the beginning. I thought Pittsburgh's defense is for real, looking at all these guys on this defense. And, I mean, the TJ way... TJ that... Watt just signed his new deal too, right? So Yeah, he's he ready to go. Cooking, yeah, that's what I'm saying. He was ready to go. And Buffalo, I think, should have should have came in with a little bit of a better plan and they, they, the problem with Buffalo is they have a hard time running the football. And in a game like this, mm. you need to learn to run the football because you can't keep throwing and throwing and throwing. It's not going to work against a defense like this. Buffalo had a hard time. They struggled, but it's week one. I'm not totally worried about the Bills. I think this was a tough matchup for both teams. And the yep. Steelers gutted it out. They got the better coaching in this game. They got the more experienced quarterback in this game. And they got the better defense in this, this game. Is, this is what we were saying, man. I thought we both agreed that Pittsburgh was way too undervalued in, in some of these lines that they were at. Like, like there's no way this year is going to be the year that Tom goes under 500 no. with a defense like this. And they totally got undervalued, man. I, Josh Allen, I, 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 this was a good, this was a good wake up call, man. This was a good wake up call for Josh Allen. TJ Watt was on this dude. Like it felt like he was on the floor a lot. Yeah, I agreed. And don't forget too, this is a game where, Pittsburgh was struggling late last season and they had to go up to Buffalo where Buffalo was on a roll on Sunday Night Football and Buffalo just trounced all over that defense. So you bet you you best know that Pittsburgh wanted to come back in here and get this dub in week one in an opener. Like Pittsburgh's not a team where you can just run over like that. No, so, they come and, to play. And the, I'm not even going to tell you this though. They, their offense was not good at all. Like, I mean, like, no, they, it was they struggled. Not. Like Najee Harris was not doing his thing. What we thought he was going to do, receive. I think you know maybe he threw for what one touchdown pass the whole game or something. Like, yep. it was their offense was not cooking. Like it, it was just a pure defense. So like they still got room to grow. Buffalo is going to need this wake up call. Agreed. I think when you look at the Pittsburgh Steelers, and this was the problem that they had last year, was the offense fell apart last year. This year. I don't even think it's a sense that like this offense is not going to be the typical Pittsburgh offense where they're dropping 34 points a game. No way in hell are you asking 40-year-old Ben Roethlisberger to throw 60 times a game. You got to be out of your mind. So the way the Pittsburgh's got to go about this this season, win with this defense. You got a championship contending defense. 
and you have Ben Roethlisberger, who's as experienced as anyone, a future Hall of Famer, just don't ask him to do too much. Put him in good positions. Run the football with Najee Harris. And then, you know, use Juju and Claypool and Deontay Johnson in some ways. But don't air it out multiple times in a game because Roethlisberger just doesn't have that. As we saw in last year's playoff game against Cleveland, they did that. And Roethlisberger threw for like 500 yards, but he threw like six interceptions. So that's my thing with Pittsburgh. I think that's the only way they're going to have a shot to compete. And it and it worked in a game like this against Buffalo was one of the top teams everyone was talking about to compete with KC. And it worked in week one. So we'll see how this goes the rest of the season. But I think it's a good start for Pittsburgh. And I like what you said. It's a, it's a wake-up call for Buffalo, a little bit of a reality check. And if I, if I had a reality check, if I'm Buffalo, I would want it to be week one and not like week 12. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean... The other, the other big time game in that one o'clock slate, uh, there wasn't even really any. I mean, I think the Texans kind of surprised us both by beating beating up on the Jaguars, but I think we both said that they had a shot. Yeah. I think the four o'clock games are where the magic kind of happened. I thought the Browns and KC. We, I said that was my game of the week. You said that as well. Cleveland was up. What was it? Twenty to nothing or something? Twenty two. Twenty two to ten. 22 think, to 10. Okay, I think yeah. they were up 28 20 or something like that as well. They were up multiple points, not once, but twice in this game. Man, I think they should have won that game. I think they should have. They had a block point, and, you know, you can't give KC short fields. You know, KC then Mahomes pulls, you know, a 75 yard thing out of his butt. Tyreek Hill, what else is new? And then Baker turns it over, throws a pick at, on the last drive. And I thought KC didn't play well at all, and they walked away with a win against a top three team in the AFC, which was my original pick. I mean, I don't know how I would feel if I'm Cleveland, man. I thought, yo, I don't know if I should feel happy that I hung with Casey or I should be pissed that we we really should have had this win. No, I got. I, I would be pissed. If I'm Stefanski, Baker, any of those guys, even a Browns fan, I'm pissed off because you, you had them. Like, you did everything you possibly could have, like, if you had to picture a perfect game plan to beat the Kansas City Chiefs, the Cleveland Browns executed it up to about 85%, and then they let the they they stopped putting on the gas pedal, they took their feet off, and that's what happened. You cannot take your feet off the gas pedal against the Kansas City Chiefs because it's not it's not gonna work. You need to play literally a perfect game to beat the Kansas City Chiefs. You cannot up it like that that stupid fumble Especially punt in KC like, too. You cannot do that. A dumb mistake like that, you're, there's no way in hell you're going to beat the Kansas City Chiefs if you do that. So Cleveland, it, it was a great game. They played a good game, but I'm not happy for just hanging with them. Having said that, similar to how I said about Pittsburgh and Buffalo, if I'm Cleveland, if I wanted a game like this, I'm happy it's week one and be like, bet, let's. I'll see you back in January and let's run this thing back one more time because I think Cle- Cleveland... Last year was different. It was their first time in the playoffs. They played a pretty good game. They allowed themselves to get back into it. Obviously, Mahomes got hurt, but they fell just short. Now they come back. Mahomes is in the game. Cleveland, again, plays a near-perfect game, and then they just couldn't close it out. Now you're like, if you play them a third time, it's like, okay, we have been this close both times. We have got to go over the top in this one and finish them off this time. It's extremely hard. The Kansas City Chiefs are very, very, very hard to beat. And like I said, you got to play a perfect game to beat them. 
So the Browns, they got to learn their lesson and go from there. But for Kansas City, man, if you if you give them mistakes, man, and you just and you give Mahomes any bit of opportunity to get back in a game, yeah, good night. It's over. Yeah, and I think I come away with this game with two things, man. And it's well, the one thing that we I knew coming into this game was that Cleveland could hang. I knew that coming in. That didn't surprise me at all. But for Baker. I I don't know anymore, man. I thought, you know, he was good enough to get the job done, you know, to actually beat a Casey, but I don't see it anymore, dude. I mean, he didn't throw a single touchdown all game, threw for 300 yards, whatever. I mean, it, it felt like he had a good game. I thought he actually played pretty well. He did. But, he did. but the, the interception at the end, remember I was talking to you about that, it, bro. I feel like Baker just doesn't have it. I don't think you can win a Super Bowl. His contract's coming up with him. They're going to have to make a decision, man, if he's worth the money. Because if he's worth the money, I mean, the reason I like Cleveland a lot is because they got a good team, right? It's, it has yep. nothing to do with Baker Mayfield. It's They got a good team. And if they're going to have to make a decision on whether you want to pay Baker or not, you know, it, the team's going to be gutted. But um, on the other side, I think KC, man, we the whole offseason story was, yo, they fixed their own line. They fixed their own line. Their defense did not impress me. And I thought their defense has been kind of the story of KC the last couple of years. We know what they can do on offense. Can they do anything on defense, right? Can they yep. stop people? And it did not look good, man. I thought literally Cleveland was just getting five, six yards of run. It felt like they were getting a first down every time they threw the ball. It literally felt like they got anything they wanted. And, I mean, you fixed your old line, but, yo, you still got to stop somebody on, on D. Oh, absolutely. You got to put a stop. And, and KC will get that figured out. They didn't have Tyron Matthew in this game. But, uh, you know, KC's defense has never been amazing. They've always been good. And they've been good enough to try and get some stops and then let their offense do the rest. But going back to Cleveland for a second here and going back to Baker Mayfield, I think I think it's, it's a little too early to say that it's week one. But I know what you're saying, though. I definitely understand where you're coming from. I just think I got to wait it out and see the entire season. But Baker Mayfield, you know what he doesn't have is that signature win, if you know what I'm saying. Baker Mayfield needs that signature win over a team. And I don't think the wild card game against Pittsburgh does not count as a as a signature win for Baker Mayfield because Ben Roethlisberger would turned the ball over five times, right? Pittsburgh basically handed it to them on a silver platter. Cleveland took advantage of it. Obviously, you you got to take advantage of opportunities, and they did. But without Pittsburgh turning the ball over, I don't know if Cleveland would have had the game that they did in that wild card game, right? Baker Mayfield needs to have that game where he defeats Ben Roethlisberger one on one. Obviously, not now. So actually, take that back. Not not Roethlisberger. Let's go Mahomes, Allen, Jackson, Tannehill. You know any of the top quarterbacks? In the AFC, you got to go toe-to-toe with them and you got to beat them. Not come close, you got to beat them. And this was a really great opportunity for Baker and he couldn't, he had it. He had the ball, he had a chance to win it and he threw an interception and he couldn't do it. It's week one, let's see how this goes next time around. So for me, I got to see it all year for Baker, but I think this could go two ways. If he gets that signature win and he proves it, then then maybe Baker Mayfield is the guy, or this could be one of those Jared Goff kind of situations where he's on a good team, but he's not that guy and we need he's, an upgrade. No, so, so that's what I'm thinking, bro. He's been in the league long enough for me to tell. 
that I can't win a Super Bowl with him as my top guy. Fair enough. Fair enough. I mean, it is fair. I mean, he's been in the playoffs. He's had his opportunity. And for me, I think I, I got to see how this season pans out first to see that. But I, I can see where you're coming from. And, and it's, a, it's a valid, it's a valid, you know, take when you look at Baker Mayfield. Sticking in the late slate, the New Orleans Saints took on, I guess it was a Division three Wisconsin high school team. Because I don't know where the Green Bay Packers were. Do you know where they were? Because I don't know where they were. I, f- I, I think they went to the Superdome and they thought the game was in New Orleans. They were at Fletcher's Field with you guys, bro. Oh, my God, man. I just, I don't, I, bro, I don't know what the hell happened. Like, I think there, there had to have been like an, an identity crisis because that was not Aaron. Like, somebody had to have put on the best disguise and looked like a guy who looked identical to Aaron Rodgers was out there because I don't know where the real Aaron Rodgers was. This was an abomination, man. This was, this was a tragedy. I don't know what the hell happened in Jacksonville, but Sean Payton's tactic of picking Florida clearly worked perfectly because the Green Bay Packers looked absolutely horrifying. The final score was 38-3. to And mind you, let me remind people here, this is not the first rodeo that the New Orleans Saints have done this to a really great team. They did this to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers in Florida last year on Sunday Night Football, 38-3. to So it's not like the Saints, you know, where the Packers were low, where the Packers were so bad. The Saints did it to the Buccaneers last year, and the Bucs had Tom Brady and all those weapons, and the Saints did that to them too. So I, I understand, sure, it's you can look at it that way of like, okay, well, it's happened, bef- happened before, but this, this is like, I mean... This definitely confused the hell out of a lot of damn people. So your your your, your takeaway from this is that New Orleans is that is that good? No, no, no. My my takeaway is my takeaway from this game is is I'm worried about Green Bay. I'm worried as hell about Green Bay. New Orleans, I think they definitely showed something. The Saints are going to be good, and that's what we. It was kind of similar to Dallas, where it was like there was that unknown, right? Is Dak how's Dak Prescott going to come? And that's the, that's how I felt about the Saints. It's the unknown of Jameis Winston. How's he going to look? Jameis Winston looked great. He didn't need to do too much. The defense helped him out. They put him in good situations, and the Saints did really well. But the Packers, I don't know what in the, the hell happened to them. Rodgers, 15 for 28, 133, no touchdowns, awful. two picks. God-awful. A.J. Dillon was the leading running back with 19 yards. Aaron Jones, one of the best running backs in the game, five carries for nine yards. Nobody got, nobody got it going in this game. Devontae Adams had 56 yards, and it was just an absolute catastrophe all afternoon. Well, the thing is, is like it, I totally misread, misread this. I mean, I thought coming in, yo, Aaron Rodgers, when it's football, it's football. He's going to come out. He's going to come out pissed, kind of like he did the last year. And he came out like he didn't even want to be there, but like I – Body language wise, it was just not there, you know. And when he, when your leaders like yo, just not even trying to, it felt like he didn't even want to be there at all. And when you're in bo- leaders like that, bro, it rubs off on the whole team. When it rubs off on the whole team, you can't. The NFL is too competitive a league, man. You can't do that. And LASIK, LASIK eyes, Jameis Winston threw for five touchdowns. I mean, we knew he had the talent, just got to cut down the interceptions, and he did it perfectly. I'm real worried about Green Bay, man. If Green Bay is this bad, which I don't think they are, I think next week they get a week a game against the Lions. Perfect bounce back opportunity. 
I think that's a Monday night football game. Yes, sir. But they, they have every bounce back opportunity in front of all the eyes watching them. And, yo, if if that that division has real potential to be, like, you know, one of the worst divisions in the, in the whole NFL now. Who would have thought? Like, who would have thought the NFC North could have had that kind of potential? Because they went winless this week. And that's another team. The Minnesota Vikings, I mean, that's another team that I thought had playoff potential and they lost to the Bengals oh, in no, week they look one. Bad. They look bad. Like I don't like that's another one that's kind of a head scratch. Like I didn't watch a lot of that game, but I look at the scoreline and I'm like, what the heck? I'm like how the heck did you guys lose to the Bengals? Like that just doesn't in overtime. That just doesn't make any sense. But yeah, sure the Bengals are talented, but like that's no, a no, game the that Vikings you win. look like the Vikings look like, you know, a way under five hundred team, man. Wow, that is that is something else. But I mean, I, I the one thing I'll say about Aaron Rodgers is this that I did not like, and that's the fact that after the game, Matt LaFleur goes to the podium and says, We got embarrassed and blah blah blah, and this was a horrible game, whatever. And then Aaron Rodgers goes to the podium and he says something very interesting and he goes, It's one game. I'm not worried, it's one game. Dude, you just got your ass kicked by 35 points to the New Orleans Saints without Drew Brees. I'm sorry. I would not be out there being like, it's one game. I'd be like, I got to be better. Take some accountability, will you? You're a Hall of Fame quarterback. Take some accountability. That's embarrassing for real. That's what I I'm mean, saying. Come on. Come on. Like, you you went out there and you played like shit. Don't go out there and be like, it's just one game. No, and be like, oh, on. it's relaxed and all this, you know, stuff. Like, no. Yeah, no. Don't be like that. Like, go out there. Take some accountability. Being like, I got to be better. This team's got to be better. He looked so chill at the podium. He looked like they lost by like a field goal. And then they scored a field goal. Like this, I don't know, man. I, I don't know about Green Bay. The only thing that I could, uh, that for me personally take away from the game is like, well, I guess that's one less game the Niners got to worry about on our schedule because we got him in two weeks at our home opener. So I'm excited about that one. But I mean, wow. I, that was certainly my biggest surprise of the entire day for me. Um, moving over to the last, well, the last two headline games, both primetime games. Rams beat the Bears. We'll talk about that briefly, and then we'll go to the Raiders-Ravens. Rams beating the Bears. Matthew Stafford, Jesus Christ. My I Lord. mean, I mean, I'm not going to lie. That Matthew Stafford in this offense, I already knew I had high expectations for, but once he made that first deep throw to Van Jefferson, mm-hmm. I was like, Shit, we're in trouble. <laughs> I'm like, man, this is this they, is they're nice. This is not gonna be easy because the Rams look like I just sensed an energy about them. Mm-hmm. Like I said, the defense seemed hyped up, the offense about McVeigh seemed happier, like it, something it and I didn't like it. Obviously, I'm a Niners fan, so I'm not gonna like it, but the Rams look good, man. They look good. And and you know what? I will say about this about the Rams, and I said this a few weeks ago too. You know, p- regular season, all right, that's cool. But I want to see what you do in January. Like, I'm expecting the Rams to have a really great year. But when it comes to Matthew Stafford, I expect him to have a great regular season. But for a guy who's never won a playoff game, let's have this discussion in January again. But the Rams, man, they're going to be a problem. To the Chicago. They, no, 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 go ahead. Go yeah, ahead. Go ahead. The, Rams, the Rams look good, man. They, uh, we never seen Matthew Stafford, you know, do this bootleg play action thing. We never seen that really from him. He's rolling left, throwing right, 60 yards. It's, yep. It was unreal. And Jalen Ramsey, bro, I, he was flying all over that field. I, wow, I was really impressed with Jalen Ramsey. He was saying, you know, when you play on a, on a defense like this, it's easy to just get, like, you know, lazy because they're not throwing your way. 
and, you know, just stop making plays up front. This dude was everywhere, like everywhere. And their defense was not letting nothing happen. And like you said, that energy was there, man. They looked like they were having a ton of fun playing. And that's when a team's having fun like that, yo. Scary. I mean, it's, 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 it's fun to watch, and it's, it's a good team normally. Absolutely. I mean, it's easy for you to say because they're not in your division. <laughs> but for me, I mean, I just looked at that and I'm like, oh, my God. I mean, this is – I don't know, man, but the Rams look good. They look good. And as for the Bears, they look bad. They, they did not look good at all. Andy Dalton came out and did exactly what we all thought he was. And, and before we move on, because I, I don't really care to spend a lot of time talking about the Bears, but there's one thing I want to say is I, I watched a bit of Matt Nagy's press conference from this game, and he, he said one of the funniest things I've ever seen. He goes and he says, when asked about the question about Dalton and Fields, and he goes, you know, Andy Dalton came in here and he did exactly what we wanted him to do. We executed our game plan and, you know, we're, we're evaluating Andy right now. Hold the phone right now. This guy's been in the league for how long? Like nine years, ten years now? You're evaluating him? What the hell does that mean? Like, what Like what does that mean? I'm evaluating a seasoned veteran when you got Justin, Justin Fields should be the one you're evaluating. Well, there's there's this for me. Well, I mean, like, Nagy was awful in this game. Went for a couple fourth downs right away. Didn't get him. Then when he's in Rams territory, he had a fourth and one. Didn't go for it. And that was just really confusing for me. But I actually, I actually don't mind that he went with Dalton in this game. Because I'm not putting out – this isn't the right time to play Justin Fields, man. You know, he hasn't had his week of reps as a starter. And you're going against, I think, maybe the best defense in the league. I don't think this is the right opportunity to play him week one. I think if you're going to play him eventually as your starter, you know, you pick a game in your schedule where it's an easy transition. You start him all week at practice, and you just let it roll from there. I don't think this was the time to start him. No, I, I, I'm not saying, like, this game was the time to start him. I I, I think they, they're doing the right thing by, by letting him sit there and let, you know, you know, Dalton. I, I just found the way that Matt Nagy just said that just sounds so bad. I'm like, yeah, like, it did. Like, no, he, he, just, he, was a, he had a bad game. He that's the, like, that's what I'm saying. Just the way that, that he's, and it seems like every time someone's asked him about the Dalton Field situation, he said something so dumb. And I'm like, and, dude, and Montgomery, like, Montgomery was getting like, it felt like he was getting six, seven, eight okay. yards a, a run. And David they just Montgomery, stopped, and they just did, stopped going to him. Like, he he looked good, and David Montgomery is a guy who I'm not totally fond of, but he he looked good. I mean, there were a couple of bursts that he had in that first yeah. half, and he looked he looked good. And behind the a old, trash offensive line, yeah, that's too. what I was I was just about to say. The old line is just garbage, and that's why you can't put Justin Fields in. And and man, we saw that that Rams defense was flying everywhere. And you know what? I gotta say this. I you know Brandon Staley left you the DC last year for the Chargers job, and they went out and got Raheem Morris. Man. Raheem Morris, a phenomenal defensive coordinator. Like, that was a steal. And when you look at that and you're like, oh, I don't know if the Rams lost some guys on their defense and they lost the defensive coordinator, but Raheem Morris might be even better. So, like, this Rams team is, I don't know, man. They're, they, they're atop the NFC for me right now with Tampa. And, and it's, it's going to take, yeah. take something for my Niners to top them. And it's a good thing we're not meeting them till week 10 because there's a lot of football in between then and there. But, goddamn, week 10... Niners Rams Monday Night Football. Oh my goodness, God, that is going to be something. Speaking of Monday Night Football, 
That was some game last night between Holy. the Ravens and Raiders in overtime. The Raiders barely got it out of the bag, 33-27. I took a massive L. I fell asleep at halftime, so I watched the rest of the game or the rest of the highlights this morning. But, man, it what was a, a game. It was a it was a weird one for a bit. I mean, it seemed like the Ravens had a chance to win. They turned it over. The Raiders had a chance to win. They turned it over. And then it just finally came to a sense where Derek Carr kind of just throws it up there. And the Raiders ended up winning the game. It was ridiculous, honestly. And I thought um, Max Crosby, I've never even heard of him. But for the Raiders, the D-line, he was everywhere. He was honestly like the player of the game. Um, Darren Waller almost had like 20 targets. You know, the him and Derek Carr were off a little bit, but yo, I mean, I we both picked the Raiders, man. I think we weren't surprised at all. But Lamar Jackson sort of did his thing, man. It was just the point where, yo, my receivers aren't getting open. I got to make plays by myself. And there was a couple plays where he was just scrambling behind the line, waiting around, waiting for somebody to get open, or he just took off himself. But the two fumbles just costed them, man, and. It, the Raiders did look good, and I think this is exactly what we kind of expected from this game. You know, we expected it was to, it was going to be a fast game, fast turf, right? We expected Darren Waller to get 200 targets. We expected Derek Carr to sling the ball around. We expected Gruden to make hella mistakes. We expected Lamar Jackson to do everything by himself. And then we both called the Raiders winning. So this was uh, exactly how it ended up being what we thought it was but the game itself was ridiculous they thought they had it everybody was <laughs> celebrating go bring it back oh the kicker's coming on oh no we got a false start we got to move back five yards okay offense go back on okay we're just gonna run it no we're not boom 30 yard bomb it was honestly ridiculous you, you know what the Raiders do especially under John Gruden is they do not know how to make games easy on themselves I feel like they make they make winning games so much harder than it needs to be. And it's funny because it's entertaining. Like, when are yeah. the Raiders not in an entertaining game? Like, it seems like they're always in an entertaining game. Whether it's, especially last year, they were in a ton of them, whether that Jets game, the Dolphins game. They were in a bunch of them. And then right out of the gate, you open up the new stadium on primetime and it's an entertaining game. Again, Gruden doesn't know what the hell he's doing. Oh, let's kick it. No, 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 never mind. Let's go for it. And then, it, like, it just, I don't even know, man. It just, the Raiders were kind of everywhere, but they came out with the win. It's typical John Gruden, Derek Carr type stuff that they were doing. It's not easy on them, but they found a way to win. I was so, honestly really surprised. Were you surprised as I was with, with the turnout that, the, that they had in the stands? Vegas' fans were rocking, man. I was really surprised. No, uh, yeah. I mean, I wasn't. Raider fans are—they're one of those fan bases where they—they they travel well, right? And they they're do, a, but they're I was a global. They're o a global brand. Yeah, but I didn't think you know how oh, it is in Oakland, right? Oakland's different, man. Oakland's different. different, but Vegas. Yeah. I thought they did it. They did a great job. The turnout was was good. Yeah, no, it wasn't bad. It, I you know it's not Oakland, but it. I agree with you. It definitely was 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 good, solid crowd. Um, a lot of Raider fans there, and and I don't think yeah, I don't think they'll have a problem with that because there are Raider fans everywhere. But and then going back to Baltimore before we move on with Lamar Jackson, I think yeah, I, I do think it's going to be a tough year for Baltimore, and I think Lamar is still going to have a great year for himself, but it's not going to be easy because, like you said, the O line was not good for him yesterday. We obviously know the run game is a disaster. The receivers are kind of eh, 
it's going to be a tough year for Lamar. And I think he's going to do his best. He made some incredible plays yesterday. But at the same time, it's like, this is going to be really hard. And I don't think it's going to be an easy year for Lamar Jackson at all. And for the Raiders, let's see if they can keep this up. But it was a, it was a hell of a way to start the year for them for sure. And then rounding out the week one headlines, the NFC West goes undefeated. Same with the AFC West. All the West teams go undefeated this week. My Niners avoided a major collapse. I almost had a heart attack. Beating the Lions 41-33 in that one. Philly and Atlanta, the game that you thought was going to be the most entertaining game, was a blowout. Completely one-sided. Philly won that 32-6. Sam Donald and the Panthers beat the Jets 19-14, ruining Zach Wilson and Robert Sala's debut. And I got to point something out. Did you see this whole mixed reality Panther thing at Carolina Stadium? No. Oh I was my not, God. I was not watching Carolina and the Jets play. Oh, no, no, no. Not the game, bro. I'm talking about like, like pregame. Like there's a video clip. Oh, man, I, you got to see it. It's the sickest thing. It's like this 3D like VR type Panther that's just running around the stadium, man. It's it's some crazy shit. Like you got to see it. It's some crazy stuff. I, I, I'll send that to you later. That's good stuff. But Chargers beat Washington. That was a tough one. And big news out of Washington. Ryan Fitzpatrick mm-hmm. will miss six to eight weeks with a hip injury. So it'll be the Heineke show again. That is I, just... I don't think anybody in Washington is really losing sleep over that. It's unfortunate for Fitzpatrick, but... Very, very unfortunate. Yeah, I, I mean, sure, you're not losing sleep over it, but it, it's tough because, you you know, it's like, all right, finally, we have a veteran quarterback in the I building. Think, and... I think they wanted to see the kid play, man. I think after that the game against Tampa. The playoff game, yeah. I think yeah. they wanted to see what he's actually got. Yeah, no, fair enough, fair enough. Well, the Chargers got a win there. Washington falls to 0-1. Seattle goes into Indy. They spoil Carson Wentz's debut, 28-16. The Bengals beat the Vikings in OT like we talked about. The Arizona Cardinals mm. demolished demolished the Tennessee Titans, 38-13. That was a game that I thought was going to be a really good game, and it wasn't even close. The Cardinals came in there and just trampled all over them. It was not even close. Teddy Bridgewater and the Broncos came in and destroyed the Giants, and then the Texans beat up on the Jaguars and. I'm not I'm not really surprised as much. I'm surprised they scored 37 points, but I'm not surprised they won that football game at all. I it's it's still gonna be a long season for the Texans overall. So before we move on to the rapid fire picks for week two, what were some of your winners and losers and surprises from week one? Winners, losers, and surprises. Well, my biggest loser, honestly, I think it's got I mean, I think it's got to be Cleveland. I think they had that game. I thought they blew it. And it's just a, it's just a gut punch, man, to lose to a team like that that you really thought you had. It's just a gut punch. Winners, I'm going Pittsburgh. Really liked what they showed. They got to be big up. They got to be real proud of themselves. You yep. know, they, they beat a team that everybody's got real high expectations for. And, and you know, the surprise of the week, I'm going to go with Philly, man. I didn't think that team was capable of putting up 32 I mean, that that was really surprising, honestly. The Devontae Smith-Jalen Hurts combo looked good. Uh, yeah, for that, you know, Philly might be in a position where they can, you know, win some games in that division. Yeah, no, that's a good point. And I also forgot to mention the Dolphins edged your Patriots 17-16 to in a nail-biter exactly the way that you thought that that game was going to go in that one. For me, when I look at my winners, losers, surprises, my winners, I got a handful here. Dak Prescott, for me, was a winner. To come out like that, ball out the way that he did against Tampa Bay, I thought was excellent. Very happy for him, and I hope he keeps that up, and I hope he stays healthy. 
Jameis Winston, another winner for me. Debut again in New Orleans. Gets a start against Green Bay. Has a day, five touchdowns. He really needed that for his confidence. Teddy Bridgewater, I mean, this is a guy who's had just an incredible story. He beat out Drew Locke, goes in, in New York, on the road with Denver, and they played a great game. So I'm happy for Teddy Bridgewater. I think he's a winner there as well. The LA Rams, yep. Unfortunately, I hate the fact that they're a winner, but I mean, I'm going to say the whole team, not just Matthew Stafford. I think Sean McVay is a winner. That defense is a winner because Matthew Stafford, the acquisition, clearly helped that team. Of course, it's only one game. We'll see how the rest see. It's a long season. We'll see how it goes from there, but I'll say them. And then lastly, Tua Tagovailoa, I think, is a winner to get a win in New England. It wasn't pretty. It was a little bit ugly, but to come out with a win, I think is a big deal for him. And then my losers, Cleveland, Green Bay, and the Giants, we talked about the Browns. We talked about the Packers. So I'm not going to go into too much detail there. But the Giants, Daniel Jones, we talked a lot about him this offseason. He needed to come out with a big game, and he did not deliver. I think the Giants, I don't know, man. It could be a long season, and they could also be in the quarterback market as well. And then my surprises are Green Bay and Tennessee. I thought both of them looked a lot worse than I had anticipated in that one. So moving ahead to week two. Before we get on, one second. Go for I it. think I think my my takeaway from that Patriots game, yo, I think Mac Jones is a lot better than Tua. I I remember I was saying I'm not sold on Tua. That game did not change my opinion at all. Fair enough. You know what? It's week one. It's a divisional game. It's Max debut. You know what I'm saying? I don't think there's a lot to to take into consideration. You know when you're looking at that game from either either team. So. Well, we'll see how the Patriots do. The Patriots get the Jets next week, so it should be a little more of a winnable game for Mac Jones, and he takes on another rookie in Zach Wilson, so we'll see how that game goes there. Um, In terms of week two, when I look at game of the day for me, I think it's got to be Dallas and the Chargers. When I look at I think these are two teams. I think it's going to be really entertaining. Dak Prescott, Justin Herbert, you got Keenan Allen and Mike Williams against CeeDee Lamb and Amari Cooper. It's just it, it could be back and forth when I look at that game. And then the other one I'm keeping my eye on is KC at Baltimore Sunday night. I know this is the game I penciled in early in the year saying that, is this the year that Lamar beats Mahomes? But after last night, I do not think it's going to happen. But it could still be a good game. We'll have to see how that one turns out. My sneaky good game of the day is the Raiders at the Steelers. I think that could be a weirdly good game, although I don't love the Raiders going on the East Coast. But... If the Raiders play anywhere near that they did last night against Pittsburgh, I think it could be a good game. All right. So my game of the day is Bill's Dolphins, man. I think it's in Miami. How crazy would it be, man, if the Bills started off 0-2? It's not going to be be easy. Yeah, it's going to be. I think, honestly, I came into this year thinking Buffalo is the clear-cut number one in this AFC East. I still think they're the favorite, but man, I think all three of these teams, Bills, Patriots, and the Dolphins are all real close now. I don't think it's a, a head and shoulders like I did at the start of the year. I think they're all pretty close to each other. So that's my game of the day, man. I wouldn't be surprised if the Bills go 0-2. That'd be really weird. Um, sneaky good game of the day, man. I'm going to go I'm gonna go right back to the Eagles, man. I'm going Eagles-Niners. All right, sneaky good game. I think, you know, your Niners put up 41. Eagles put up 32. It's in Philly. I want to see Jimmy G get the, the the booze and everything. I just I love seeing a guy like Jimmy G in a in a hostile environment like that in Philly. I think Philly can can sneak this one out. You know, it's I don't know if they will, but I think this is gonna be a sneaky good game. Both teams' offenses look cooking last week. 
Yeah, I'm not too worried about this game. I think the only thing I'm worried about is the fact that our defense, I mean, good Lord. I mean, they did not look good in that fourth quarter against the Lions. So for that reason, sure, the Eagles could definitely have the same offensive performance they did against Atlanta against our defense. But even though our defense is a whole lot better than Atlanta's on paper, but we didn't look good on Sunday. That's the bottom line. And we just lost Jason Verrett for the season. So we got cornerback problems. So, I mean, who knows what's going to happen there. And then Buffalo and Miami, honestly, I wouldn't be surprised if Buffalo started 0-2 either because this is a divisional game. You're on the road. Miami's a scrappy team. I wouldn't be surprised either. I mean, it's a, it is a game that I feel like Miami could win that game. I mean, it's going to be really interesting what to look for in that one. So let's get right into it. Let's rapid fire it away and let's go through our picks for week two. And we'll start it out with Thursday night football. The New York Giants, who looked awful, will head to Washington to take on the Washington football team in this one. Both teams 0-1. A terrific quarterback matchup against Daniel Jones against Taylor Heineke. Oh, man. Just an amazing quarterback matchup there. So, who are you liking this one? Washington minus three and a half. I mean, bro, this is going to be brutal. I, this Thursday night football is just going to be brutal. I mean, I think... I'm going to take Washington just because they're the home team. And I like their defense. And, you know, Daniel Jones is a turnover machine. I'm going Washington. I think they cover too. I'll take Washington 24-13. I think the Giants have a brutal day. Daniel Jones doesn't look good. Chase Young is all over this team. I need Saquon Barkley to show up in fantasy, man. But I just do not think it's going to be a very friendly game. And, and it's going to be an ugly one there. I definitely agree. I'll take Washington in that one. 24-13. Cincinnati takes on Chicago. Andy Dalton will get to face his old team in this one. Bengals at Bears. Who you like? Bengals and Bears. Another ugly game. I'm going to take the Bengals. I like the way they played yet uh, last week. I'm going to go the exact same score as they won last week. I'm going to go 27-24. I, I, yeah, I'm going to pick a score similar to that. I like the Bengals by three, 26-23. I think Joe Burrow <laughs> looked good. I think Joe Mixon looked good. I'm going to take the Bengals over the Bears. I think Andy Dalton and the Bears just continue to struggle in that one. Texans go to Cleveland in this one. Yeah, Texans look good. Cleveland's getting 12 points. That's a lot. I don't know if they cover. Uh, it's in Cleveland. Okay, I'm going to take. I think Cleveland has a nice game. I think they go up big. And I think they do cover the 12. I think they might go 36 to 21 Cleveland. Yeah, that's a good call. I'm going to take the Browns to cover as well. I'll take them 31-17 in this one to beat the Texans. I think the Texans will fall back down to earth. They're on the road against the Browns who are hungry. They play the Chiefs as good as they can. They'll come out ready to go in this one. I'll take the Browns in that one. Rams head to Indy. Matt Stafford takes mm-hmm. on Carson Wentz. I think this game could be a little interesting, but I don't know. No, this is... a. Uh... I think I'm rolling with the Rams easy on this one. Minus four, give it to me. I didn't see nothing from the Colts that makes me think that they're going to be a decent team. I think this division could struggle real well. Or could, could really be pretty poor, this division, man. So I'm going to take Rams easy, 32-16. to 16. Yeah, that's a good call. I'm going to go similar to that. I'm going to take the Rams 34-21. I think Indy, I don't know, man. They, I think they've had a, just a bad look when it comes to the schedule with Seattle Rams, Titans. Although the Titans look like crap too, so who knows how that game's going to go. But I think the Rams looks, looked really, really good against the Bears. I think they'll keep it rolling in this one. Bills at the Dolphins. 
Bills at the Dolphins. I'm going to take Dolphins plus three and a half. I think the Dolphins do take the upset. Bills are the surprise 0-2 team of the year. Wow. I mean, I wouldn't be surprised, but I just think the Bills are too good. I think they're going to bounce back in this one. It's going to be close. I'll take the Bills 23-20 in this one. I think Josh Allen bounces back, and I think the Bills go 1-1 and and avoid the 0-2 start. Your Patriots take on the Jets. Mm-hmm. The Patriots minus five, taking it all day, I think. Big day for Mac Jones. Played well last week. I like it. These guys just got to clean it up, and I think they will. No way Belichick's running backs are going to fumble two games in a row. I think they went 31-17. I like the Patriots in this one, 25-17. I think Mac has a much better game. Zach Wilson plays better than last week, but still struggles. I think the Jets... It's going to be a little bit of a while until they get their first win, but I think they, they'll play the Patriots hard, but I think New England comes out on top 25-17. My Niners go to Philadelphia. Mm-hmm. I still think they cover. I think they win 27-19. I think it, you know the potential for shoot scoring is there, but I don't think it really happens. Niners win by eight. I'll take the Niners in this one, 30-21. to 21. I think I think our offense is going to do the same thing as last week. They're going to go. They're going to run up the score. Jimmy's going to have a good day. Lance going to have a good day. But I, I just think that our defense is still going to struggle a little bit, especially our secondary. But I don't think Philly will have as good as a day. I think Nick Bosa and D. Ford will just be too much for that Philadelphia O-line. So I'll take my Niners starting 2-0. Raiders at the Steelers, another West Coast team going east. Mm-hmm. Six points is a lot for that Steelers offense, man. I don't trust them to cover the six. I still think they win. I think they win 24-21 in Steel City. See, this one can get weird because I think it's going to be really, really close. But I also think it could be a blowout. So I'm going to take history on this one. And I think Pittsburgh it is controls this game from beginning to end. So I'm going to take Pittsburgh in this one 28-14. I think the Raiders struggle. It's a 1 o'clock game. They're on the road, and they don't usually fare well in games like that. So take the Steelers by two scores. Saints at the Panthers. Saints at the Panthers. You got to roll with the Saints, man. They're only favored by three somehow. Man, I think the Saints look real good. Panthers didn't do anything that surprised me against the Jets. Anything at all to impress me. I'm going Saints big here. I'm thinking they go 35-17. to 17. Jeez, I mean, I, I Jameis Winston. I mean, him and this offense are just gonna—they're gonna be a force to be reckoned with all year. They're gonna put up a lot of points. He's I think on this pace one, for eighty-five touchdowns. Yeah, jeez, but I think in this one, it's gonna be closer. It's a divisional game. I'll take the Saints twenty-six to twenty-one in this one. Broncos at the Jaguars. Broncos at Jaguars. Nothing too crazy in this game. I think the Broncos win it. Uh, I think it's gonna be a real ugly game. I think they win twenty-one seventeen. Agreed. I'm going to take Denver in this one, 29-17. to 17. I think Denver is in control, and they get off to a surprise. I think they're going to be one of the more surprising 2-0 teams to start the year. Minnesota goes to... I got a weird feeling this could get ugly for the Vikings. Yep, I do too. I'm going Arizona 31-17. I'll take Arizona 31-16. I think Minnesota's going to struggle again, and Kyler's going to keep it rolling. And Arizona's also going to be a surprising 2-0 team to start the year. Tampa hosts the Falcons. This game might get interesting, man. I feel like the Falcons play Tampa a little close. Tampa minus 13 seems like a lot, but I'm still going to take – I'm going to take Atlanta to cover. I think I'm going to go 34 to 27. That's a good call. I'm going to take Tampa on this one 30 to 20. 
and I think Tampa does a nice, actually, no, sorry, 31-23. I think Atlanta sticks around for a little bit, but it'll only be a matter of time until Tampa takes over. Dallas at the Chargers. I think this one could be a shooter. Yeah, this could be a real good game. I think uh, I'm going to roll with the Chargers here just because they're the home team. And, you know, I, I don't know. This this could be a real good shootout, though. I'm going 24-21 Chargers. Chargers start off 2-0 against two pretty decent teams. I think this game is going to be a heck of a game. I think it's going to be a shootout. Both quarterbacks throw for a lot of yards. I'm going to take the Chargers 33-30. to It's going to be a close one. I think it'll be a really entertaining one. Tennessee at Seattle. I initially thought this was going to be a really, really good game. But after the mm-hmm. way Tennessee played, I think they are in a lot of trouble. Yeah, no, Seattle minus five and a half. I've taken Seattle, man. I think they do it. I think they won thir- 31 to 20. I'm going to take Seattle 28-13. I think Tennessee going into the ruckus crowd of Seattle. It's been a lot. I know we were talking about Buffalo in that environment last year. Ooh, Seattle right. with the 12s back in that building. Good luck to Ryan Tannehill and the Tennessee Titans. So I like Seattle running all over them again. KC at Baltimore on Sunday night. You know what? I think the Ravens are going to hang in this game. I know people are a little bit down on them from Monday night. I think the Ravens are going to hang. I don't think they're going to cover the plus three. I think KC still wins. I think they're going to do a good job, though. I think it's going to go 34 to 28, KC. I'm going to take KC 31-26. Same with you. I think Baltimore is going to do their best to stay in this game. But I just think, once again, KC is just going to be too much to handle. Monday night, Jared Goff and the Lions take on Aaron Rodgers. And hopefully, the real Green Bay Packers will show up to Lambeau Field. Man, Packers are favored by 10.5. And and I cannot take 10.5, even though from what I saw from last week. I'm going to go Lions to cover. And this is going to be a close game. I think. Either, you know, the Packers blow them out or Lions have a shot at winning this game. I'm going to go Lions 28-24 for the win. Wow. I mean, I I mean, I got to admit, Jared Goff played well in the last few minutes of that game against the Niners. I, he did. And the Lions are scrappy. And that's the one thing that I do admire about what Detroit did is they didn't give up. They kept playing. They kept playing till the end there. I think the Packers will edge this one out 24-20. I think the Lions, again, will be scrappy. They'll stay in it. It's a divisional game. Can get kind of weird. But I'll take the Packers to win that game by four in this one. So, week two, we'll see what happens. Not as great as a slate as week one was. But some still some great games to look forward to in this one. Be final thoughts before we wrap this thing up. Man, yeah, the Packers better show out, man. On Monday Night Football, you got the whole world watching you. If you lose this game, crack open that fire alarm, bro. Panic City. Agreed. Definitely good. If you lose to Detroit, oh my God, it's going to... I mean, we could have some very interesting 0-2. Buffalo and Green Bay could both be 0-2 after Sunday who or after Monday. So who knows? We'll have to see what happens. But make sure to give us a follow on Instagram and Twitter for more sports news and analysis. And we will see y'all next week on the island where we recap week two. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of Baller Island. We got a lot more content coming your way, so make sure to give us a follow on Instagram and Twitter for more sports news and analysis.